Welcome to Georgia Realtors Realcast. I'm your host, Maura Neal. Have you made some changes to your business in the last few weeks in response to COVID-19? In response to this global pandemic, to self-quarantine, to various levels of shelter in place, to keep yourself, your family, and your clients safe? Have those changes and the circumstances causing them made you think about your business differently? Have you begun considering which changes are temporary and which may be less fleeting? And which of those changes may actually make more sense in a more permanent sense? That's what my conversation is about today with Kenneth Jenny, Managing Director and CEO of Transcend, a consulting company which offers unique strategic business solutions for companies focused on the residential real estate industry. With clients such as Zillow Group, MoxieWorks, OpCity, Trulia, HomeFinder.com, Prime Media Inc., LendingTree, and the list goes on, it may seem like a conversation with Transcend's CEO may not be accessible or applicable to an everyday practitioner. But I disagree. A former realtor himself, and now one of real estate's foremost and most sought-after trend predictors, Ken is the perfect person with which to have this particular chat. First, a little background. I was introduced to Ken Jenny a couple of years ago at a dinner in Palm Springs during RPAC President's Circle. A group of us, who hadn't thought to plan ahead and make dinner plans, grabbed a reservation where we could. I gathered a group together, most of whose only connection to each other was that they knew me, and I knew them. Ken was the guest of a good friend, and we embarked on a lively and talkative dinner party from which we all parted fast friends. Isn't that sometimes the best thing about conferences? Our mutual friend introduced us. She told me that he had a background in real estate. I recognized his name and I knew a little bit about him. For example, I knew that he writes for Inman News, that he owns a consulting company, and he was somehow connected to Trulia's early beginnings. But he's much more than that. In reality, Ken is a trend predictor. He's a former realtor, so he has a great perspective on our industry, but he's made a living and a reputation as a much sought-after consultant. Since then, I've read his Inman articles, I've devoured every blog post he publishes on his consulting site, as hungrily as we devoured that delicious dinner in Palm Springs. I've gotten to know him a little better, and we've had some inspired and inspiring conversations. He's one of those people I could talk to anytime for hours on end and never get bored because he simply has interesting and well thought out things to say. I can honestly say I've learned a lot from him. He's just one of those people who makes you think. Fast forward to late winter 2020. We're coming up on the busy spring market and I know from reading Ken's blog that he's hoping to capitalize on that market too as he has one of his own personal properties for sale. Then coronavirus comes to America. COVID-19 throws us all into varying degrees of self-quarantine and shelter in place, and we as realtors are forced to try to think about and approach our businesses differently, in the temporary sense. But is it? Temporary, I mean. Or are we learning from this pandemic some new and enlightened ways to conduct our business in a more responsible way that is showing us ways to better serve our clients and to be more efficient for ourselves? That's what we'll be talking about today. 
This episode is one of those conversations that truly could have gone on for many, many more hours. How is the pandemic changing the way we do real estate? What should change? What has needed to change for a long time? To remain relevant, I think we were overdue for some changes. Perhaps these times we're in, perhaps this pandemic could be the catalyst for some of those changes. To quote Ken, it's not my hope that this episode is thought-provoking. It's my hope that it is change-provoking. Either way, I hope you enjoy it. Ken, thank you so much for joining me today, and welcome to GA Realcast. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you generously giving your time today and some of the opinions that um, most of the world only gets to pay for. So for you to come and share with the Georgia Realtor members and, and our affiliates is definitely an honor. And for those of you who don't know Ken, you can go to our show notes at GA Realcast and read a little bit more about him. Or of course, you can visit his website and that link will also be there in the show notes. But I like to think of my friend Ken as real estate's top trend spotter. What do you say about that, Ken? Well, you know, I think trend spotting is great, uh, but being able to predict trends is, is even more special because trends are obvious and predictions are not, right? So you gotta sure. match the things up. And uh, we work in an industry that uh, uh, admittedly and not so admittedly could use a lot of change. Um, and, and nobody likes change. I think you said that earlier in a conversation we had. But change is the, um, the way to realize opportunity. Um, you'll never know if you have an opportunity until you change and try something different. And it's amazing what the response can be from not only the industry, but the consumer. And as you know, I spend most of my time these days looking at it from the consumer back to the industry which is really weird for a cons an industry guy like me with 38 years in this business. But I do it that way. I look at the consumer experience first and go backwards to see where we have opportunity to fix it, make it better, improve it. Um, and then I challenge people to try it. Just try it. Try some new things. Um, and, and, and I think it's a shame that I go to Inman News, and you do too, I'm sure, in your world. Sure. Uh, and I hear about the industry getting disintermediated or disrupted and all the things that, that you read about. I would rather go there and see the industry disrupt itself. I'd rather see us take what we do and do an Andy Rooney. Remember Andy Rooney? I do. I miss that guy a lot, man, on 60 Minutes. And he always used to say this, and it's his famous saying. You know what it is? You ready? Ready. Did you ever wonder why? Did you ever wonder why? He would take things that are really obvious, like, did you ever wonder why they stay in Houston, they have Cape Cod houses? Why aren't they in Cape Cod? You know, <laughs> things like obvious things like that. And, and I think as an industry, we have to start asking ourselves that question. I mean, we should do it privately and then react to it publicly. And when I say that, I mean, you know, we have a lot of things we've done forever, Ken. It'll never change. It's just the way we do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I used to sell real estate back in the dinosaur days, and uh, I used to go into consumers and sit at the kitchen table and say, okay, now when I list your house, these are the things we're going to do. And back then, we didn't have nearly the capabilities we have today to do things differently. There was no choice back then. I mean, if you didn't put it in the newspaper, no one knew about it, which is pretty pathetic when you look at that now. If that's our, if that's our value prop, right. uh, we're in trouble. Now we can get hundreds of millions of people to see the property. 
And we can do it virtually, we can do it really, but we've never let go of the, the things we thought were so important as tradition to become non-traditional and unconventional. And those are two things I learned from another guy by the name of Bob Kriegel, who wrote the book, If It Ain't Broke, Break It, which I think is a great book. It's an older book, but it's still an oldie but goodie. And he also wrote the book, um, Sacred Cows Make the Best Burgers. I don't know if you remember that. Or not. I do. But, but how, many, how many sacred cows do we have in this business, my friend? I mean, it's just pathetic. Um, if you have a lot of sacred cows, you don't have a lot of burgers, you have a lot of problems, in my opinion. Yeah. So Andy Rooney questioning everything we do, good lesson, right? Mm-hmm. Making the sacred cows and making them burgers, I think will improve our consumer experience because a lot of the things we do today for consumers, I have a lot of questions about them. I have a lot of questions about the security, the privacy, the uh, health issues, right? And the safety issues. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I have talked about this, not just for the consumer, but for us and the consumer. Right. And I've read about the same things that, you know, terrible things happening to real estate agents because we do the same old things the same way we did. And uh, one of my blog posts, I talked about, you know, standards and things we should have in this industry to protect ourselves. And I said, you know, I went to test drive a car the other day and then they've known me for 20 years at the dealership. Right. And they still said, hey, Ken, I need your driver's license before I can take you for a test drive. I said, well, I've done, I bought five cars from you. You know who I am. No, it's, it's our standard process. So if anything happens when you're out on the test drive, your health, safety, you get an accident, you, you go crazy and steal the car, whatever you're going to do, you know, which is entirely possible in my case because it was so <laughs> I should have just stolen the car and not paid for it. Um, but that said, I gave my driver's license. I wasn't insulted. Right. But what do we do, you know, when you, when you think about showing property or someone calling, you say, oh, my God, someone just called me. They want to see a house. I'm rushing out there to sh- be in there and show them the house. Who is this person? What's their intention? Um, you know, we need to start saying, did you ever wonder why we just rush out and show a house without knowing who we're showing it to? Absolutely. And you, you have a really interesting quote. And, and I, I'm going to urge anyone who's listening to – please go to our show notes and click on the link to visit Ken's blog. Because when you start to read some of his thoughts, whether you are familiar with any of his articles from Inman or not, they're really eye-opening. And one of the most interesting quotes that was very thought-provoking for me, and we're going to talk about thought-provoking in a little bit as well, because you, you said something really great to me on the phone last week that I want to remind you of. But you wrote on a recent post, why are we not leading the reinvention of our industry, to paraphrase, uh, and thereby disrupting ourselves? We, so we've already mentioned that humans by nature, we don't enjoy change. Change can be uncomfortable. I mean, look what's happening right now. We, our worlds have been made uncomfortable by the change that the pandemic has brought on. Whether that change means you're homeschooling your children right now, or you're stuck at home with your spouse, or you're stuck at home alone, You can only go one way down a certain aisle in the grocery store. Whatever those changes are, humans are uncomfortable with change. But we also, as an industry, we like to complain a lot about these so-called disruptors, whether that's Zillow or the iBuyers or a discount brokerage model that's unfamiliar to us. So we're signaling change that's happening around us that we don't have control over. 
Why aren't we as an industry looking at things from the consumer standpoint, working backward from that, the way you just mentioned, and disrupting ourselves and finding those sacred cows? What do you think the mindset is behind that? Well, look, I'm going to just be honest with you. I, I study a lot of businesses. I've been in business a long time. I've had my own business. I've, you know, my past, I think you, you can probably remember I was with Coal Banker Residential Affiliates. I was the COO of the company. I was the CMO for Prudential. And what I learned was, you know, we as an industry like to do what we do, and it's comfortable to do what we do because we weren't challenged. We aren't challenged enough. That's changing, but let me give you where it's going to change dramatically. Whenever anyone has a viable alternative, so you're driving a Mercedes and someone brings you a Rolls Royce and said you can have it for the same price, you go, oh, my Mercedes guy isn't going to like this, but I love the Rolls, goodbye Mercedes, right? So a viable alternative, viable is important, alternative is important. Not just an alternative, but a viable one. One that the consumer is adopting faster than we like, but we're in denial about. Our industry loves to be in denial. And so I've said this many times, and you can smile or whatever if you get this little innuendo. But I think we're so much in denial, we should move the whole industry to Egypt so we'd be more close to denial. <laughs> I think we, as an industry, have, the, have had the luxury, have had, not have, had the luxury of not being challenged as much as we have been lately. So that causes us not to change. Because if we can go in and sell the consumer on the same old stuff we sold them before, um, and even though we get the same result they don't like, they have to deal with it. Because everybody in this industry, like it or not, all your members, they do things pretty much alike. And then along comes an alternative that's a viable alternative, like iBuying. iBuying is not, and I blogged about this, it's not about flipping homes. We have to flip and get over that. Because it's not about that. It's about the process being reversed and the consumer having more knowledge of the fact that they know what's wrong with the house before they sell it. The price is adjusted before they sell it. And they're given an alternative to say you can move immediately and you don't have to put any more money in the house, which we don't give them. So in contrast to us, they're like the total viable alternative. Now, thank heaven, the money markets have had their challenges and, and iBuyers need to replenish their funds. They buy a house, they need to sell it to buy another one. So they've kind of stalled out here lately. Um, but that doesn't mean that the consumer didn't like the viable alternative they, they, they presented. I mean, we go in and say, oh, the contingency periods where we find all this stuff about the house, which is ironically after we sell it and negotiate it down the last $50 and hate each other for doing it. And then you go back in and say, well, we have an issue with the appraisal. Oh, oh, we found something in the home inspection. Oh, oh my God, the foundation, the geological inspection. Oh, the roof and oh, the pool. I didn't talk about the pool. And then we wonder why we have this tremendously anxiety-filled and stressful transaction. Mm -hmm. So what the iBuyer said is, look, we're going to look at this fundamentally. And it's very much more like, like the REO business and the RELO business. They institutionalized the transaction. So they looked at it as a non-emotional investor is saying, we need to know all this stuff up front before we make an offer, right? We don't do that, but they do it. And the seller went, hey, that makes sense. <laughs> that seems to make sense to me, because then if I know what's wrong with the property, what needs to be fixed in order to get in, in condition that you can resell it, I have to discount my price from market because that stuff has to be done on top of that. I get that, I understand that. We don't do that because what do we, we're afraid the seller will go, well, I don't want to pay for the inspection. I don't want to do that. Will you pay for it? 
you know, we have all these preconceived notions of what the seller would do. Sell the seller on the value prop of doing it up front. I say value prop, proposition, I shouldn't say prop. It's not an airplane. But if we could just look at the process and sell the seller on what we're doing that doesn't make sense, so we should examine why we do these things and how it could be done better, you'd be surprised what the consumer will say. And I know companies that are doing this now. I know companies that have tried it before. I called it in one of my blogs, doing last things first. I think you also used uh, a, a phrase that um, for anyone like me who's a Broadway lover will recognize uh, and, and not be able to get the earworm out of their head, but you, you talked about, about it in terms of defying gravity. Yeah, I, I did. I'm a big fan of Indina Menzel. See, I can see it. Travolta has a problem. I can figure it out. <laughs> so weird that he was bald all those years, and, and I just it over to think all those times I thought it looked like a toupee. It was a toupee. So anyway, off the subject a little there, but you know, back to defying defying gravity. If you listen to that song, and everybody that's listening to this this podcast, you should go listen to that song that Adina Menzel sang on Broadway in the play Wicked, and she basically was telling people in that sense when she was the wicked witch the green one she was telling everybody look i don't care what you think i'm going to defy gravity and fly on this broom because i have something to show people and i have think i believe i can do it so when we defy gravity it's more or less saying you defy what we think is absolute we defy what we've done forever we defy the conventional way of doing things we defy so what the consumer is looking for i think is people in our industry that will defy gravity. That will put all the things we do to test and come up and say, it doesn't make any sense, so I would do it differently. I'm going to do it differently because everybody else you'll talk to and all the other five agents that come in here for a listing presentation, they still do that. Why do they do that? Because everybody does it different, sort of, right? So they have to get all these different opinions. Everybody comes in and says, okay, we're going to do a lockbox, an open house, put a sign in the yard, a brochure box, and we're going to put in the MLS, and, and then the seller falls asleep, so then you're listening to it for the fifth time, and comes in and says, you know, I'm not going to do open houses. I'm, going to, I'm virtually going to sell your home. I'm going to use something that every buyer uses. It's called technology, and we don't even acknowledge it half the time in our industry because the problem in our industry, I think, Mara, is that we have people that do three, four deals a year. The long tail of our industry is killing our industry. The people doing two and three deals a year. The long tail, that old internet thing, is killing our industry because that's what we represent. If our best, if, if, if our best or our average agents are doing a couple of transactions a year, they don't need technology. They can walk the documents around. They don't need transaction management. But when someone comes with a, a formatted presentation that's designed to benefit the consumer that might be mirrored after an iBuyer experience, everything up to buying the house, you'll be surprised what happens. Because I have companies who are doing it and agents who are doing it and companies are going direct to the consumer to do it. And they're like the REO business. They formatted the processes, taken out the emotion, put a lot of the stuff up front for the buyers to be able to review and, and check out before they make the offer. Um, they're embracing virtual technologies for the safety and security of the seller. Someone asked me the other day, um, and this is very interesting, Ken, how many times should I stage my house? I said once, and then go back to living. Stage your house when you photograph it. Put all the virtual information out there. Do not 
whip the kids into submission to clean up the room every day. Do not lock the dog in a cage in the garage. Do not turn your alarm system off. We're not putting a lockbox on the house. We're going to find a buyer, and then once they're absolutely certain that that's the house they want, I'm going to make one trip out there with them. And you may have to stage it again once. Just clean it up a little because they've already seen it perfect, right, <laughs> online. And then, then we'll make an offer and go through. Instead of parading people around the marketplace to, let's do five homes today. You know, you end up buying them lunch because they would have died if you didn't buy them lunch after the fourth home. <laughs> I mean, why, don't, why do we do these stupid things? Why don't we do like you're doing right now, a Zoom meeting? Why don't we do Zoom meetings and show them properties virtually? Take them on a virtual walkthrough. You that's still what, do work. That's what I just got home from. I think I told you when uh, we jumped on the call initially, I was rushing home from a showing that took place via Zoom. My buyer is in Kansas City. She's got shelter in place orders right now. We have shelter in place orders. Uh, the home is uh, an occupied home, but the seller is in a position, according to their agent, that they do need to sell. And that agent did not have a video or anything up online for us to see more than just the photos, but it was an, a hop, skip, and a jump for me to go down and have a Zoom meeting with her and uh, her husband, and now we're writing an offer. So and I guess, and, and I think that's great, so I would say define gravity, okay? It, what if our industry said we can't show you the house? You can see it online, and I need to show it to you online, and you can talk to me about what you like and don't like, and then we'll narrow it down to one house. When you get around to it, we'll go out and make an appointment then and look at it. We're, we're not permitted by the seller to go in your house. I think those days are coming. We're not, we're not going in with some stranger and you may have to go in, you may have to have your, your booties on or your mask on. And I don't think sellers are going to want random open houses, random buyers, random agents, random anybody going in their house. You know why? Where did they send us all when it got bad? Home. Yeah. And so another blog I wrote, because I noticed this, was not home sweet home. It was home safe home. The, the, the home, I think this will be, this thing that we're going through now will be a boon to, to home ownership. Because anyone that's been cooped up in a studio apartment because they were cheap and didn't want to buy a house <laughs> is going to say, I don't want to go back there again for five weeks. I mean, look at your nice house there. I have a nice house. And, and it may be the only place we go that's safe. Mm -hmm. So whoever doesn't own a house, you get stuck in your trailer, you get stuck in your apartment building. Like, look at those poor people in New York that are crowded out on the balcony screaming at each other because they're going crazy. That's because they didn't plan on spending much time there. But there's a whole new reality that we have now that if we have these other viruses, issues, health issues, we're going to have to go home. So, hey, guess what? All the Atlanta realtors can sell them a place to go safely. And to, if you're going to sell them a safe place to go, we ought to do it safely, the process of getting them to a home. And, and I think that's something we're going to have to see as a new reality of the virtual world of real estate. And I don't think it's so bad. I think it's pretty cool. And I think it's very effective. It's much more effective than what we do now. Sure. And I, I think about, uh, you know, had my Kansas City buyer been able to come to town, let's say there's no pandemic, it's business as usual. We would have spent the entire weekend likely looking at if with our low inventory, there might not have been 20 homes for her to see, but let's say there were 20 homes for her to see. And I think that there is uh, analysis paralysis involved, especially with, you know, for example, some first time home buyers who they read 
information that's contradictory or misleading on the internet, or they watch too much HGTV that tells them, look at every single house that's in your price point because you don't want to miss the right one or the perfect one. Right, right. Well, and you and I know there's no perfect house. No. We had clients who sat down with an architect and they designed their dream home and they spent three and a half million dollars on it. And she still told me that at the end of the day, she wished the laundry room and the pantry were bigger. <laughs> so, you know, there's no perfect house. And looking at 20 doesn't mean that you're still going, does, still doesn't mean you're going to find the perfect house. Uh, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's also worth mentioning that the realtors coming through your home <laughs> are strangers. They are. Just because they have a real estate license that doesn't make, that might give you one extra layer of protection than uh, the average consumer who's coming through uh, during, during an open house. Don't you, do you think, or is that? Is I, it I totally agree. But I mean, when I said to you earlier, safety, security, um, privacy, and, and health issues, I don't have a, a E for that one. Healthy, I guess. Um, I meant that for us as an industry, as much as I did for the consumer. Sure. And, and I've been very, very outspoken and very critical, I might add, of some of organized real estate just backing away from setting the standards the auto industry set. And I mentioned those earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think this is nonsense about, you know, having a certification for everything we do. That's really nice. That's a nice to have. But we need to put our money where our mouth is. Um, and I think as an industry, we open ourselves up for a lot of very unsecure, unsafe, unprivate. I mean, we give all our information out about us. It's, it's, I often, I used to say this about realtor.com and I don't know if I can say it now, but I'll try. Uh, I used to say realtor.com was an okay real estate site, but a better dating site because all they had was pictures of the agents, you know, men and women on there and they could find out what they look like and figure out which one you wanted to go with. And you didn't want to pick this one or that one or whatever the case was. We focus on our, it's our agents way too much. The product we're selling is the property. It's the listing. We need to take a back seat. And when I say, you said business as usual, I, I always comment on things like business unusual. So why don't we take ourselves out of the limelight, out of the spotlight, and make our properties the thing people look for? Not for our company name or our picture or our team name. We can facilitate that. I mean, how many times do you get on an airplane and say, oh, this is American Airlines, Steve Jenny's flight, the pilot. I flew this airline because Steve Jenny's the pilot. No, I didn't. I flew the airline because the FAA has made sure that Steve Jenny, my brother, captain in American Airlines, flies that plane safely for everybody. I don't care who the captain is. They all had to meet that criteria, right? I flew it because American Airlines is what I need to get from here to Dallas or whatever. So people don't search real estate by agent. If we think they do, we're crazy. Absolutely. Business unusual for us is, well, hey, it's me. They're sort of search for me and I'm the number one agent. We're the only industry, Murray. The only industry I know that has 1.3 million number one agents. <laughs> Well, and you know, my friend, uh, whom I'm sure you know, Jeff Turner, asks this question all the time. Why do we put our photos on our business cards? Why do we put our photos on our signs? Why, why are we marketing? I understand marketing ourselves to get, to get buyers and sellers to want to work with us, but why does that involve 
here's a picture of what I look like. Does this make you want to work with me more? I, I don't, I see it as a safety issue. I think the people that allow that to happen need to redirect the industry and think differently. I really strongly believe that as much as I do that you should have a proof of your identity before you go work with an agent. You should be able to uh, send a picture on your phone of your driver's license. And, and I, I'll tell you this, I believe it. You should do a background check on that person before you put them in your car and drive them to an empty house. I mean, if you're really seriously looking at real estate, you wouldn't, you wouldn't care about that. You'd say, sure. And you should know, some third party should know in an open house, for instance, what if someone came to my front door and I said, okay, you'd like to see this house, to snap a picture of their driver's license, which sent, is sent to a, a secure place, that if anything ever happened, they'd know who's in, in the house. They're not going to sign the guest book. That's old stuff, okay? We thought, well, we'll get them to sign the guest book. It, it wasn't for safety reasons. It was so we could badger the hell out of them to buy a house. And they know that. So they're not going to sign the guest book. It's not, oh, if you don't mind signing my guest book. Uh, yeah, I'm here to actually steal everything in the house, and I'm going to tell you who I am, Mickey Mouse. We don't do things thinking about our safety and the concerns and safety of the consumer. And that's why, to go back to one of the original discussions, that's why we get disintermediated and discounted so much. Disintermediation mm -hmm. is one thing, but being discounted by the consumer is another thing. And I want to share this with you because I think it's important. Every year, every broker I know, and I've known a lot of brokers in the industry through all my relationships with the industry, but um, it's always that NER moment, you know, when it comes out, well, you know, and... 2019, here's what the gross commissions were. And it goes down every year, right? Boom, boom, boom. And the broker goes, oh, great, I'm still in business. I still have some margin. And then along comes Open Door, and they say it's 8, 9, 10% to do something. And the consumer says, fine. I know your process, and I know this process. This is going down. That'll just take this, twice what that is already, without any questions. Why is that? It's because the experience is different. And I've said to people this a hundred times, when someone prefers to do business with you and agrees to pay them more, just not to use you, that's not a good thing. So people that are paying more to the iBuyers is institutional, non-emotional, upfront, last things first process, and they're agreeing to pay more of the equity that they have in their home, basically, out of the, their fees, right? Mm -hmm. Just so they don't have to do your open house and your lockbox and your for sale sign, all that you tried to sell them, they're not buying into it. Shouldn't that tell us something? It should. Doesn't it also tell us that if we think about it from the iBuyer perspective, just to use an example, the not it's not going to work for every cons not every model is going to work for every consumer so the i buyers have offered up an alternative for a certain type of consumer but it's a type of consumer it's a segment of that population of home sellers that has wanted to be heard so why is it that we are not going out to consumers as an industry now we have the NAR profile of home buyers and sellers and, and there is some information to be gleaned from that if one takes the time to read it and digest it and actually listen to and read between the lines. But as an industry, as individual realtors, as individual agents, why are we not going out and listening to the, uh, to the consumer? And instead we're just heralding 
that we're all number one and we're all top producers. And here's my photo from Glamour Shots from 1987. Well, I think, I think here's the thing that concerns me. I think that we, um, we attack the viable alternative and try in an effort to try to keep the traditional and conventional thoughts alive. So we think, and this is also true, by the way, presence is powerful. Presence, not under the Christmas tree, but presence is powerful. We have like 1.3 million agents and 50,000 some odd, you know, realtor brokers out there. And we think that, hey, try to take us on. We have all the consumers controlled in our spheres and databases, and we're going to give them this choice, and we're going to outpower you guys. We'll just outdo you guys. We're out presenting you guys. We're out showing you guys. Um, and, and so nothing will ever change. But we forget that there's... There's 1.3 million um, realtors, but there's 300 million consumers. Mm -hmm. What if the consumer turns on us? Then we look pretty small, don't we? We sure do. Now, if you talk about the open doors and the Zillow offers and those, these people or the compasses or whoever the hell it happens to be, it's like, oh, that's a limited number of people and we can outpower them. But you can't outpower the consumer. And, and you know... There's a lot to say when you say the consumer gets a taste of something, they kind of like it, they never go back to your restaurant again. They don't like what you serve. They don't think what you serve has value. They don't think it's safe. They don't think it's secure. They don't think it's private. They don't think it's quick enough. They think it's too emotional. It's too anxiety. It's too stressful. If they decide that, I think, and I've said this before, and I don't want to shake anybody up on the call. You know, people are going to say, oh, oh this guy, whoa, he's bad. <laughs> um, you know, have you ever heard the thing tipping point? Yes. Okay. I think the real estate industry is not only reached its tipping point, it's tipped and doesn't even know it yet. I think we are in this fog of believing it's always going to be this way and we don't need to change and why would we do that? Um, because it's just going to be tougher on us or it's going to cause more work. We take the lockbox off the front door, we have to be at every showing. Yeah, that's right, you do. So let's make less showings by doing it virtually and you have less showings and more security. It all works, right? But I just said two things the industry is having a struggle with. Taking the lockbox off the front door and going virtual. Mm -hmm. Without that, we can't do that, right? It doesn't make any sense. And you can argue with me all day long about how that doesn't make any sense because everybody uses lockboxes and nobody uses virtual tours. I agree with you. But the minute someone does, you're going to look pretty stupid. I want to talk a minute about the technology piece because uh, related to nobody uses virtual tours. So obviously a way smaller percentage of the realtor population or the real estate agent population is using them than probably should be. We keep trying to add specifically myself and my husband, my team, we keep trying to add something new uh, from a virtual perspective so that the buyer for our listing can see as much of the property as possible, um, including some of the things that you talked about, a pre-inspection, a pre-appraisal, a floor plan, um, a virtual tour, a 3D virtual tour, all of the things that could help them to learn more about the property ahead of time. And we keep right. trying to add to that. There's a really, uh, there's a great real estate speaker. Um, you may know him. He's kind of the face of Box Brownie. His name is Peter and he's from Australia and he's at a lot of the big, well, now he's sheltering in place at home in Queensland. But he and I uh, had some great opportunities to talk and he teaches this really amazing class called Third World Marketing in a First World Country. 
<laughs> where cool. he compares the typical American listing marketing to other countries around the globe and what's expected. And we do not compare favorably even to real estate in Thailand, because even in a country like Thailand, that most would think of as not being a first world industrial world leader and not nearly as sophisticated as we egocentric Americans are, uh, the virtual showing is king. And yep. that is 100% not just typical, but expected. Uh, not to mention in countries like Australia and New Zealand and, and parts of Europe. So that technology piece, do you think that we as an industry in, in America, the, the majority of agents are reluctant or resistant to it because it's new and different and it's something we have to learn or because it's dollars we have to spend? What do you think the resistance is or that it's just change and we just say, why should we do that? We used to have MLS books. Look how far we we've come. Aren't we fantastic? Because now we have the internet. Well, I think it's an it's it's one of the easiest answers I'll give you for the whole day. Okay, we look at technology as how it enables our business to do what we want to do, not as technology that enables our business to be more valuable to the consumer. So, in my example, where the long tail of real estate is killing us, guys doing two deals, some deals, no deals. I said, well, isn't no deals zero? They said, yeah, but it sounds better when you say no deals. <laughs> Better than zero. So I said, all right, we'll go with that. So they look at it, go, hey, I don't need transaction management services. I don't need virtual tours. I only did one listing last year. Okay, what's that got to do with anything? What's the consumer experience when they go to that listing? What's the consumer experience when they buy that property from you? It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with showing our consumer that we have value. And here's the problem. We've been trained somewhere by the parents of real estate, you know, the, the, the is latchkey kids or something. I don't know what the hell happened to us. We were, we were told, if you don't look busy, they won't think you're worth the money. Okay, so I'll be over to show you the documents this afternoon and take you to lunch to show you the disclosure document. You know, it's like, oh, wow, then they're worth more money because they came over personally and showed me the documents. That's not the way the consumer looks at it. We think we have to look busy, so we don't want to automate what we do, when in fact the consumer wants us to automate what we do because they don't even like us. They just want to buy the home. And we look at it always like, does my agent need this technology? Should I buy this from some company out there? So that, and then my adoption of my agents is so low. That's a big issue for the consumer. It's not an issue for you if you're a broker or you're an agent. It's an issue for the consumer. I still don't know why we don't have open and, 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 and online secured ways to conduct a transaction. We're still sending stuff in emails and still getting fraud and, and all kinds of problems with, with, with deposits going the wrong place or someone stealing it with a routing number. Why? Because they're not doing it in a secure location. It's not, we're stupid. Everything that people send me in the real estate business via email, I go, you know, this isn't secure. So what are we going to start looking? When are we going to start looking at what the consumer thinks of what we do on each transaction? So if you do one sale and one listing taken every year, you don't get a bypass on automating it for the consumer. You don't get a, oh, don't worry, you only have one, so you don't need to. What does the consumer think of that single consumer experience? I don't care if you do 100,000 deals or one deal. 
they got to look at it and say, that was a cool deal. That was really efficient, effective, uh, secure. Um, it's wonderful that, that my agent only did one deal last year, gave that experience to me. But then the agent would say, well, I, you know, your second question was, is it affordability? Is it that people don't want to say, yeah, realtors are cheap. That's the second problem. They'll say, well, Ken, that doesn't make any sense because I only do one deal a year, so why would I give the consumer that experience? Because you're pretty soon not going to have any consumers doing business with you if you don't do it. How's that? Because what's less than one? Zero. No. Zero. No deals. So, no, don't, don't say zero. Say no deals. Yeah, okay. See, you're making it sound good, too. No, no. That was sarcasm, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm just saying to you that we have to start with consumer first mentality. Let me, let me give you another thing I did once. It's kind of fun. We'll make this fun instead of being so, you know, you can tell I'm a little passionate about this stuff. So, uh, I, I said to someone one day, here's something Jeff Bezos would never say. He's the CEO of Amazon, as you know, mm -hmm. you ready? I'm Jeff Bezos. Okay. Uh, thanks for that idea. I think it's really great. Um, I understand the consumer wants to get their stuff within a certain amount of time. They want me to tell them when it's going to show up. I think that's all really good, but I'm warehouse guy centric. And I want to tell you that I can't push my warehouse guys any stronger and faster than I am. They show up like four or five hours a day and they play ping pong and they do what they want to do. And if they want to get it there in two days, that's fine. Sometime I'll get there in a week, but I'm not going to push them. If I pushed them, they'd all quit. And I, and I only have control over them anyway. So tell the consumer, we think that's a cool idea. We'll get around to it one day. He would never say that. What Jeff Bezos would say is, if that's what the consumer wants, let's build something to get it to them that way. Let's up the standard in our warehouse. Let's cause efficiencies. Let's be non-conventional. Let's cause it to be more effective. Let's get more people if we need them. Um, let's supply them with the technology. Warehouse guys don't show up and rent the warehouse technology. It's provided to them by the person that's gonna give the experience to the consumer. So why aren't we considering ourselves mini Amazons and our consumers are the people that need to be the people that go, wow, what an experience. It's amazing. And they don't care if you're running documents around or showing up every Tuesday or calling or their day. Automate the damn thing. Do them a favor. They got a lot of stuff to do. But the key to that is you then have to acknowledge that you need to listen to the consumer and you need to be open and comfortable with change. And if we're, if we're making an assumption that that's not the trend, or, or that has not been the trend it, within our industry, that's a huge change that would need to be made. Okay, so let me give you an example, another example. My brother, I told you, is a pilot for American Airlines, a captain. Um, cool guy. Um, I fly airplanes. I have some airplanes back here, but I'm like, I don't fly what he flies, right? So I don't think my brother Steve is worth any less. Do you know when the people, well, you know when he gets a 737-800 off the ground, you know when he pushes the autopilot button? about 500 feet off the ground. You know when he pushes it off? About 500 feet before he hits the ground again, hopefully in a landing. Does that mean he's worth less money because he automated the entire flight? Absolutely not. So here's our problem. We think by automating, it'll look too easily and we'll get discounted. I would say it's the other way around. I think if we automated the process, we'd be much more valuable. And I don't care if my brother pushes it at 500 feet or 1,000 feet. If he's watching everything and make sure it goes from here to there safely, and I have a nice smooth flight, and it doesn't spill my gin and tonic and sleep 2A, I'm all happy. I don't care less what he's doing up there. I got from here to there safely. If a consumer wants to buy a home and, and they want to see it online before they, they go, and they want to tour it online, and they want to 
see an online open house and they want to see a 2D floor plan and they want to see staging in an empty house and then they go buy it, that's cool. That's what we should do. And, and the consumer will say, that was a really great experience. And you say, but Ken, I didn't do anything. I just pick out the pictures and put them online. That doesn't mean you're going to that's valuable. There's other stuff you're going to have to do to negotiate the transaction. But let's make the transaction by design something consumer loves. Let's do it like Jeff Bezos does it. Let's build it from the consumer experience back to the industry. And, and part of our challenge is we have a lot of into people, independent people in this business, right? Independent contractors. We can't tell them what to do, Ken. But we did it in REOs. We've done it in relocation. We found the people that wanted to play by the rules that someone else created and backfilled them into the industry, right? I mean, in Relo, if you've ever done relocation deals, they have their own rules. You can't be that independent. But if you want their business, you pay their fees and do it their way. Mm -hmm. REOs, you know, everybody was flocking to the asset managers when the market died in 2008. But they had to learn a whole way to do business. You know, I worked for Carrington, who's a huge hedge fund and sold 175,000 homes in the downturn. And I went over to learn what they do as an asset manager. And I went in and I said, oh, how do you look at offers? And they said, well, we, we rank them and stack them with seven qualifications. Price, closing date, financing terms, you know, condition, conditions, so forth. I said, well, where's the letter from the seller about the treehouse that your kids loved? We don't look at that, Ken. That has nothing to do with the transaction. So they look at it, make a business decision, and go, you're the winner and the rest of you lose. And, and to a certain extent, that's an extreme because they control the listing, right? It was their listing and their process. We control our own listings as realtors. We can control the process, right? We can decide whether we use brochure boxes and ugly signs and, and, and put lock boxes on the front door and let strangers in and open houses and put stupid pictures online that aren't even labeled and all out of order and fuzzy and take them with our own little cameras. I mean, we can do that lousy experience. Or we can provide the consumer with something they go, this is amazing. These guys are valuable. Look at all the work that went into doing that. And, and now it's, I can look at it in my hotel room in Buckhead 24-7. Uh, right. But if I can't, and I go online, and like I, I had someone list one of my properties just recently. I won't name any names, and I won't name the property. I get in trouble. But it's a $4.5 million home, okay? And so I went to look at it. The first picture was this really nice picture of the powder room. I was like, is that the picture you want to see when you pull it up on Zillow? That was the first picture? Yeah. And then the next picture was the front elevation, and the next picture was the master bathroom, and the next picture was the living room. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm looking with. I don't even know the spatial relationship to the rooms. Is this a two-story house? I guess it is. I'm not sure. So what did I have to do? A buyer would have had to call my listing agent, or call the agent that's on the Zillow or Realtor or Truly or whatever it is and say, I need to see that house. Why? Because it's such a lousy presentation of the house online. They had to see it. Mm -hmm. Why don't we take that away? Why don't we make it 3D dollhouse and, and walk through and open house online? And if a buyer's interested, let's go online with them on Zoom and show them the house, walk through. I have some questions about the house. Well, let's go to that bedroom and I'll tell you what I've been, you know, whatever. I think we need to look at it like Jeff Bezos would look at a business challenge. 
And I don't think we have because we've had the luxury of not being challenged as much as we're going to be challenged. Sure. And I, I am, people say, Ken, you're just so hard on the realtors. I go, well, look, you always hurt the ones you love. I've had hundreds of thousands of agents have, have sort of looked for my leadership or whatever in the franchise world of Cobalt Banker and Prudential, and others have, have uh, relied on my, my advice about technologies and other things when I do my consulting work for clients. And I think sometimes you have to shock people into changing. You know, sometimes they have to just say, oh, my gosh, could that really happen? You go, yeah, it could happen. And they go, wow, then we better do something because you make a very compelling argument that we could get taken out this way. That's why I say what I do. I, I really care about the people in this industry, and I don't want to see them go down with the ship. I'm so tired of hearing about these revolutionary things in our industry that represent nothing more than rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's not going to change the outcome. These are inconsequential things. And we feel good about them, though. I feel good we did that. But it's not going to change the outcome. Let's make some meaningful change consumer first. And the good news is, you know, you know your competition, right? Mm -hmm. And the competition is going to be slow to change, right? We, we all kind of have to admit that. So if you change quickly and they don't, that means you get rich fast. Because <laughs> the consumer will go, hey, I love that guy, that gal. Great. They do things differently. I like what they do better. Boom, there goes the business. You and I talked last week and you mentioned to me, I think we were talking about we were talking about something very specific. I think we might have been talking about blogging. But you I want to give a kind of a paraphrase of a quote that you said and that was uh, we don't need to try to be thought provoking. We need to be change provoking. And while a lot of what we are talking about today, I am very hopeful that it is at the very least thought provoking to anyone who is listening. Let's talk specifically about the, the change that's being provoked right now by our current circumstances in the world, which is the pandemic that we're facing. Uh, a lot of us are sheltering in place. Now, I know there are some states where real estate and or realtors have been named essential. There are others that where that is not the case. There are others where there's a very gray area and it's been very vague, which I think is uh, probably beneficial to those who do need to buy and sell currently. But there are changes that are being provoked by the pandemic forcing us to change the way that we're doing business, at least in the short term, with the exception of the things we've already talked about, like potentially changing the way we look at houses or how many houses a buyer may view now as, as we hopefully find ways to narrow that and do virtual showings, et cetera. What are some other changes that you see coming out of whenever it is that we come out on the other side of this tunnel, coming out of having been through this particular experience? Because I think that's something that's on everyone's minds. I think what this should have shown us, this whole COVID-19 thing and shelter in place and sequestration and all this other stuff, is we're not unlike the REO situation I was talking earlier. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I worked at companies that have reload, com reload apartments and new homes apartments. We didn't have an REO department, right? So we were woefully unprepared for the, the downturn and the new real estate market created by foreclosures, mm -hmm. right? Well, guess what? We were woefully unprepared. We we're virtually un unprepared 
for what we're have, what we're seeing now because everything we do is in person. It's physical. It's meeting someone, driving someone. You know, everything we did as an industry for the majority of the industry was all um, was was actual, not virtual. I think what we should learn from this whole situation is this isn't going to be the last time this happens. You know, bad bugs are created everywhere. Viruses morph. Believe it or not, my degree is in biological sciences, medical technology, and biochemistry. So I can tell you that with a degree in those things, I can tell you that viruses won't stop at whatever we, we're going to do to try to stop them. They change. They morph. They change better than we do. <laughs> and I think what we should learn is we were really unprepared to be able to sit here and do business during this time. Because so much of what we did or what we have right now doesn't allow us to do that. We didn't prepare listings to be virtually seen on Zoom. When we go to look at listings that we haven't been in ourselves, we don't know what rooms we're looking at. Right. You know, I, I don't know how many buyers agents have taken me into properties and said, I said, is this your listing? No. Um, okay, so why are they selling? I don't know. What room is this? I don't know. I've never been in here before. Let's go look and see. That's not going to be acceptable anymore. A, a buyer will walk into a property and already know the property, just looking for details, the way it sits in the neighborhood, the lighting, the whatever, the details. They'll always, they already know. This is, we love the kitchen. This They aren't even in the kitchen yet because they've already been there. They already looked around in the kitchen. I think we were woefully unprepared for the virtual world that's facing us tomorrow. And I think we better get with it. And I think it's not going to be a huge change. It's just an education of the sellers, which they'll all love, by the way. <laughs> Guess what? No more random open houses and strangers walking through your house. No more lockbox on the front door. No more thousands of people coming through your house, only a few that want to buy your house. How could they not like that? Right. Guess what? You don't have to whip your kids into submission so they make their bed every day. You don't have to cage your dog up. The dog will love realtors now because it doesn't have to be <laughs> No more turning off your alarm. I mean, put a sign in the lawn. What's it tell you? Alarm's off. Come on in whenever you want. <laughs> There's a lockbox on the front door. Okay. Easy target. Why don't, we, why don't we think about these things and then we're prepared now for REO, right? Everybody's prepared. We go through another downturn, economic downturn, not virus downturn. We're ready. People know, you know, exactly what to do working with asset managers and what they require. They know now what a BPO is versus a CMA, you know, stuff that we, what's a BPO? You know, we know now. And so I hope that we come out of this with the knowledge that we now have an open door, no pun intended, an open door to the new virtual reality that we're going to be living in going forward. There's a virtual reality in our industry that will cause it to be better for the consumer and better for the, uh, the industry participant. I think to an extent, those of us who are already doing some of these types of things have the responsibility to teach consumers who are selling that this is something that they should expect. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, yeah, but let me, let me just go the Ken Jenny thing on you, which you would expect me to say. So here's the deal. Zillow won the battle because they took our 623 ridiculous MLSs that we should not have 623 of that were geographically confined, right? You even have two of them in Atlanta, which I won't even get into that. And they put them all in one place, right? Mm -hmm. So the consumer said, hey, if I want to go look at Aspen or Miami or anywhere, I just go to one place. I don't have to go to the public-facing website that FMLS put up in Georgia, and then I go to the public-facing website in Miami. 
I, I can go one place and find all this stuff. You being really good at what you do, you getting it isn't enough because they'll go to those places where all those listings are aggregated and they'll see some with random stupid photography, some with virtual walkthroughs and some with no dollhouse and some without a floor plan. We need a standard in marketing to bring the entire industry online, finally. And when I say online, I helped Sami and Pete start Trulia, one of the things I did that was a lot of fun in 2005. I was their consultant, and I like to tell people there was two founders, a consultant, four engineers, and six t-shirts. That was Trulia <laughs> in December of 2005. And I proudfully stayed there 10 years until the company went public and was sold to Zillow, and then I went on to work with, with the guys at Zillow for, a, I, that was over about a year ago. So I probably had a 14 years long stint with those guys. And what I learned is that what they did for the consumer first was to take everything to one place. What we need to do now through our local efforts is to make sure that what they get from us, what's syndicated to them, is consumer ready and makes us look good. It makes us look like we get it and we understand the industry and we understand the consumer's concerns. But we can't do it with a couple of people. It's got to be a standard that we set for ourselves to assure that no one can come in and disintermediate us, no one can come in and do it themselves. And if our MLSs won't support it, get rid of them. If our MLSs say, well, I can't send it to Truly or Zillow because they don't support it, get rid of them too. We have a lot of power as an industry, but not as one or two people that get it. We have power in 1.3 million realtors and 50,000 brokers who are realtors to say to those people, you serve us, you serve us, we don't serve you. So for once and for all, if the MLS doesn't support it, get a technology that doesn't call me when you're done or else you're gone. We need to do that as an industry because if we can't get these things that are supposed to be serving us to work with us, we'll never get ahead. You know, I'm working with uh, virtual uh, technology companies that are saying, well, the MLS won't support that technology because they were built in 1802, you know, <laughs> logic technology or some, come on, Rapitoni, they can't. I mean, come on. This is not rocket science, right? So I, they say, well, what are we going to do? They say, well, we'll go around the MLS. We'll give it an MLS identifier and go around and just give it to the portal. I said, then what good is the MLS if they can't syndicate what we need to get to the portal or what we need to share with each other? That's not a workaround. We need to blow it up and fix it. <laughs> so one, I would comment is it's great that a few people get it, but everybody needs to get it. Two is that the people that serve us need to be able to show that value to the consumer, hundreds of millions of people in portals. If the portal's not doing what we want, we need to get them to do what we want. And we can do it only by saying, if you don't do it, we're actually gonna do something other than the stupid broker public portal, which is a total failure, or upstream, which is a total failure. We need to just fix it. We have the power to do it, we have the presence to do it, but we can't do it with just a small percentage of people who get it. Does that make sense? It does. And I, and I, I want to go back to my question. Do you think that it's, it's also our responsibility to teach the consumer? And actually, I said seller, but I want to amend that and say to teach the, the seller and the buyer that that absolutely. should absolutely be their expectation when they are selling a home. That's what their listing agent should be doing for them. Or when they're buying a home, that's what they should expect that listing Every listing that they see should have that dollhouse, the, the, the 2D and the 3D floor plan, Absolutely. virtual tour, a true so video my, too, not a my, photo slideshow. I know. No, not that where you move across a photo and then you go off. Ugh, the, 
to some horrible so, synthesized musical background. Yeah, some bad music that they wouldn't even play on, on a movie. Um, so anyway, I sold real estate, surprisingly enough, when the dinosaurs were running around. I told you that. And the company that owned me was Sears and Roebuck Company, this one-time mar merchandiser that was the largest in the world. See how things change? Oops, what happened there? Um, so they had this thing called the Sears Home Buyer Discount Program, the Home Seller Discount Program. You're not old enough to remember this stuff. So I used to go in on every listing presentation and go, well, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, here's what we have. You can go buy discounts on paint and fencing and wallpaper or whatever the heck at Sears you want to buy. And next guy that comes in, because I know you have four guys coming in, ask them for their program, because I'm sure they have one. But why would you list with someone who didn't have one? And guess what the sellers would do? They sit there, you know, nod off during the next guy's presentation. They go, tell me about your Sears Home Buyers Seller Program, whatever it was, you know. And they go, well, what's that? Well, the discounts we get on things to fix up the house, because you just told us our house sucks and we need new carpet and new paint, and they're going to give us a discount over here at Cobalt Banker. And, uh, you do that too, don't you? No. Nice knowing you. So I set a standard by challenging my competitors to meet my standard. Right. So you do the same thing. I know you do. You go in and say, look, people may tell you that you want random open houses and you want lock boxes, but I'm going to tell you, I don't believe that. And they're going to go, finally, someone gets it. <laughs> and you're going to go, everybody else will come in here. That's the first thing they'll do. They probably have a sign in their trunk. Throw a sign in the card. <laughs> put it up and let's get the damn thing on the market. I wouldn't do that. I'd say, let's do a little homework before we do that, before we, and let's maybe not tell the world yet about it. Let's do our homework and make it a better transaction. And then when we do, we want to be choosy about who comes to your house. It is your home safe home. If you just did that, you'd run every listing you have. I don't care how many homes you sold. They don't care. They really don't care. Remember, there's 1.3 million number one agents in this business. You're just another number one agent lying to them. So they want to know your process. They want to know what you're doing to have them live their life while they're selling their home, not stop everything. They want to know how you're going to make it easier on them, how you're going to take stress and anxiety out of the transaction. They want your logic to change what everybody else is doing. Isn't that a refreshing thing to do? But I challenge you to say that if, if we have people in the industry that don't understand that, they need to get out of the industry. Because if we don't do it as a total industry, we'll be discounted because of the long tail that won't do it. It's the long tail that's killing us. The people that go, I don't need technology because it doesn't matter to me. I only do two deals a year. Well, it's not about you. It's about the consumer. They'll all say that. So get out of the business and we won't worry about them saying that anymore. And if you're not ready to make these changes or you're afraid of them or you don't have the ability, you know, I was a new agent in, in one time and I'd go in there and I'd use everything I could other than how many houses did you sell because I didn't sell any yet. You know, I was like, don't ask that question, please. <laughs> We've all no, been there. How many listings I take in the neighborhood that sold? None. None. Or they'd say, how many, how many years you've been in business? I've been in a year. Ten minutes I've been in the business. <laughs> you know, like, those were good answers. But I always tried to say, here's what I do different than the other agents would do. Here's what I have. Here's how I feel it should be done versus what they did. And I didn't have the tools back then. This was back years and years ago. Been in this business 38 years. We didn't have the tools to show the difference. And today, those things are not even that expensive. They're not. They're usually right. transaction-based. So you don't need to pay a giant fee every month. You just pay per transaction. 
Well, and the affordability, I think, for a lot of the technology that we're talking about has come down substantially in the past couple of years um, by thousands of dollars for some of the things like the 3D virtual tours and the 360 tours. But you made a really great point that I I want to um, expand upon just a little bit before we kind of start to wrap up, which I'm sad to do because I feel like we we could sit and have this conversation all day. We may lose listeners eventually. Uh, but you made the point about the new agent who maybe, you know, when, when that consumer is going through the list of questions that they've been told, whether they read it on a blog post or they heard it on HGTV, these are all the things that you should ask every agent that you interview. How many houses have you sold? How many listings have you sold? How many years have you been in the business, et cetera? What I love about newer agents these days, and, and everyone likes to talk badly about millennials, and actually I think we've, we've kind of exhausted that line of thought and now we're on to Gen Z, right? We're, we're on to, you know, criticizing this, this new group of YPNers that are coming into the business. What I love about it is those Gen Y and Gen Zers to a, a greater extent than, than the Gen Xers with me, they have grown up asking the question, what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. So they have a unique ability to kind of flip that script and, and answer that question for the consumer. Let me tell you what's in it for you. This is, these are all the, th- I might not have sold any houses yet. And I've heard, I've heard some of them give, this, give their elevator speech. I haven't sold any houses yet, but I'm going to tell you exactly how I'm going to sell yours. Or I'm going to tell you exactly what, how I would want it done for me and all the technology that I know how to use because I've grown up learning new tech at the drop of a hat because that's all their world has been. So when we, and when we as veteran agents discount the ability of someone newer who is newer in the business. And, you know, when we, for example, it's prevalent here and I think around the country to look at an agent's license number or to look in the MLS and look at the number of sales they've had and to make snap judgments about them and their ability to negotiate against you or to um, get a transaction to the closing table. Some, some of those transactions are a lot more pleasurable and efficient and uh, smooth when you're on the, when you are cooperating with those agents, than some of the, the agents who have been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years and think that they know it all. And that's not every agent. I don't want to make blanket statements, but I just think that for us in the industry to discount those agents when consumers clearly aren't discounting them, that, there's a disconnect there as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say uh, an experienced agent coming to me to now with all the old stuff that's being done, I would say you know that they have a greater percentage of people they put through terror than someone new. Because the new person's going to look at it like you and I have been talking, okay? And look, I've got a 92-year-old mother, okay? She's pretty with it. You, if you threaten her, she'll call the police on you. If you steal your, her purse, she'll get really upset. If you were to take her car keys and run away with her car, it's insured, so she'd be really ticked. But if you took her iPad, she'd kill you. <laughs> she would take you down like in five minutes. You're not taking my iPad. So I don't buy into this gen something stuff about the experience. I think gen person, you know, gen consumer would have no argument with the things we've been talking about right now. I don't think it's a mindset of the individual. I think it's actually the, the experienced people that have done more transactions poorly 
and gotten away with it where they're taking our reputation down because they put these people through these terrible transactions full of stress and anxiety. Those people need to go away. The most experienced people that put a number of people through that, a whole bunch of people through that, are going to be tromped on by people that appeal to the gen person. It doesn't matter age. Age doesn't matter. The consumer experience that, that is delivered by Amazon, my mom is Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she goes on and orders stuff on Amazon. She's 92 years old. Well, she that's just why gets, she needs her iPad. That's right. And she says to me, Ken, why would I do it that way? And then they deliver it in a day. And, and sometimes I have to help her with the search and narrow down the product and say, that's what I'll buy it for your mom and send it to you. And I'm here in Southern California in Orange County. She's up in the Bay Area. And I can order, like she says, Ken, my Gen Air knobs are worn out on my stovetop or something. And I go online and I send them and she's got them the next day. She picks them up at the front door and puts them on herself. You know, but she, just because she's 92 doesn't mean she doesn't get it and doesn't know a bad experience from a good one. Um, I think we're all humans. We all have, you know, kids go on airplanes and go, I hate this airplane because their food sucks. Or I don't like the seats or, or whatever. Adults go on and say, I've had the same idea. You know, it's like we provide a very valued service that I think is going to be even more valued when this COVID-19 thing passes. Mm -hmm. It is the safe place we can go. I've been stuck in this place for five weeks. I have homes in the Bay Area, in, in Idaho, in Utah, in Park City. I can't get to them, Right. It's not safe for me to go. So I better be somewhere where I can live a while and not go stir crazy mad or think, what am I doing? What's my life? Five weeks of my life in this dump? I mean, people will put more value on their homes. They'll, they'll require them to be more safe and secure. They're going to put expectations on us we've never seen before, but they're not unreasonable and they're not undoable. We can do all this stuff. We just have to wake up to the fact that maybe, just maybe, all those transactions we've done, 5.2 million, 5 million a year, whatever it is, for all those years, maybe weren't the ideal way to treat the consumer. Just maybe. And if we understand that and there's ways to fix it, we better get on with it. Um, and, and it's good news for us, and I'll say this just openly, it's good news for us that some of the people who come in our industry, you know, like EXP or Keller Williams or Compass and all these other companies that are all probably members of your association, all they've been doing is competing for the same old agents. If you really think about it, Keller Williams, profit sharing, pyramid, EXP, equity sharing, revenue sharing, you know, compass, signing bonus. They never changed the experience. None of those companies have changed the consumer experience. It's still an open territory for us. Any broker, any agent can still do it. No one came in other than maybe Redfin creeped in there a little bit and said, oh, well, we can do employees and we can standardize certain things. But they didn't really do it. They did it sort of. But someone who's going to come in and really do it is really going to upset the apple cart. I mean, I, I've said this open, and I, and I don't have any reason to say it, so don't think I'm giving me any secrets. But what would Jeff Bezos say about our industry? If he went in to, to, to try to take over this $6 trillion business that we have, <laughs> a little bit of money there on the table, right? Well, how would he do it? What would Jeff Bezos say? And I often said, you know, that he, he's done a deal with Realogy, and I said to uh, Ryan Schneider, the CEO of Realogy, I said, I don't know how long random deals are going to be okay with Jeff Bezos. We better standardize something. We better do something and, and, and make it so that 
it's an Amazon Prime experience. It's not now and then, it's every time, right? Mm-hmm. But there is going to be a company more that's going to come into our business and say, this is an easy target. Right. <laughs> and they're doing it sort of now, but the good news for all of us that are listening to this podcast, it hasn't been done yet. So we have an opportunity as an industry to do some of the stuff you and I have been talking about on this call and not let them do it, not allow them to do it. We're going to be the change agent. We're going to make ourselves uncomfortable for a while. We're going to weed out the people that don't get it. And we're going to provide the consumer with an unbelievable experience. So the next time the NAR gives us the numbers, we're worth more money. That's what I'd like to see. I, I want to say I, I really enjoy the Amazon comparison throughout this episode. and. One of the things that I use a lot when I teach is comparing. I think as a as an industry, we are we have a lot of tunnel vision. Uh, we tend to only look at what other real estate agents are doing, or or real estate coaches are. We we don't look a lot outside the industry, and I think that we should. I mm-hmm. like to talk a lot about the hospitality industry. You know, what are your expectations when you stay at a Four Seasons versus a Hampton Inn? Or, you know, what's the white glove service experience versus um, something that you know is, is quick and efficient and um, pretty consistent? What do you expect when you dine out? Uh, there's a great book by Danny Meyer called Setting the Table, who's a restaurateur in Manhattan. And he talks about teaching the, I'm sure you probably have it behind you on your bookshelf. But I look at like Zero to One by Peter Thiel, the guy that started uh, um, PayPal. Right. Good to great is an old one. Blitz, blitz scaling, the end of business as usual. There's a good one. We need to, as industry, I agree wholeheartedly, we need to stop reading about ourselves and read about someone else who did it better. Absolutely. And I think that there's so many examples in business. I've often said this. This is kind of a little cliche. It's one of the oldest ones I, I came up with years ago. It's, we're in the real estate business. What would the business of real estate look like? We're in the real estate business but what would the business of real estate look like if we could really do it right? And, and we have to admit, first of all, the real estate business is not the business of real estate, right? It's a thing that we've made, that we've designed, that no longer works. The business of real estate is totally different than being in the real estate business because that's what is and this is what could be. And I think when we look at what could be, like I said, we've had the great pleasure and the really great luxury of not being challenged in a significant way where someone totally disrupted the consumer experience. The little, little view into that, you said, you know, uh, tunnel vision. The worst thing about tunnel vision is when you see a light at the other end of the tunnel and it's a train. Okay. So the eye buyer, which is also an eye seller, which is also going to become an eye trader. Think about that one. I sell my house to an eye buyer. They have a house for sale. I trade it. Where's the realtor? Answer, not there. Okay, if that gets enough steam, like a train, and comes at us through the tunnel, we got serious issues to deal with because we're not ready for any of that. Like we weren't ready for COVID. We weren't ready for REO. We had to sort of scramble around and make it happen. We need to start getting proactive about what we're ready for. And I think the train at the end of the tunnel could be anything like what the iBuyers want to do. Hey, we got a great little respite here. You know, they put themselves on pause and we should be moving, moving fast forward while they're on pause. What, what are we doing? Sitting around doing nothing? Let's get, we have this time to do this. Let's prepare for when everything comes back on and we hit play again and take them out. 
but we need to organize some kind of movement. Maybe you'd be the good person to do this because you're influential about everything you do in a good way um, to get people to say, we're all in, you know, Tom Ferry says that all the time. We're all, we're all in. Uh, my biggest concern is when we were supposed to be all in, Tom said this the other day on a call I, I might've mentioned to you earlier. He says the biggest problem in our industry is 600,000 people furloughed themselves. Think about that. They weren't prepared for this, so they just went out of business temporarily. Right. <laughs> they couldn't do business virtually. Isn't that sad? It's because they were stuck in the old model where everything was physical and everything had to be this and touch that and get in a car and do this. Hopefully, we'll never go through that again. Hopefully, we could still be working like you just said you were today in a virtual environment all the time. And if we all had to go back home, we'd still keep doing business, right? right. You yeah. can still show a home that someone's sequestered in virtually, right? You don't have to go in there. They could be in there, but you don't have to go. These are the kinds of things we need to start doing. And, and I love, you know, code of ethics. I love all the things that we do to try to make the realtor a better person. I think the practitioners will change the business of real estate. Organized real estate's in the real estate business. Practitioners like you and the people working hard in Georgia um, to serve all the consumers in the market need to be the change agent. That's not the job of organized real estate. You know, that's just not the job. It's not the job of the FAA to change American Airlines and the way they treat their customers, right? right. American Airlines, Delta Airlines, United Airlines, they're all the same damn airplanes. I mean, they're all flying Boeing 737 somethings. It's Southwest and American and Delta and United that changed the experience that caused me to have 7 million miles on American Airlines in my lifetime or 3 million miles on Delta, which I do. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I never fly United. I can't stand United. I just don't like what they do. I don't like anything about what they do. And I don't like Southwest either. I want a seat. And I want it, like I said earlier, 2A with a gin and tonic. I want that. That's my requirement. But I'm just saying we can as an industry, make these changes. There's nothing prohibiting us from doing that. And I just wish there was some change agent that could stand up in the industry and say, let's all do this. I, I think it would be really great. And I think if, and I like the fact that you like my Amazon comparisons, because if you just ask yourself, what would Jeff Bezos do? We need bracelets. WWJBD. Yeah, that's right. That's it. <laughs> it took me a moment. So, but you, you're, you're going to, you don't know this and I can tell this about you because I've known you a long time and I know that how aggressive you are and how proactive you are. By example, you're going to change people for the good in this business. You're going to cause other people to go, what's she doing over there? Shouldn't we be doing that? Aren't you sorry you asked? I am not. I'm, I'm thrilled that I asked. Um, I think this has been uh, one of my favorite conversations. I want to read one more passage from uh, your most recent blog post okay. before I ask you uh, our final question, which I'm asking to every guest. But you wrote in your most recent blog post, which was from April 6th, um, the title of which I really, really liked, In the Trickle Down of a Global Crisis, No One Ever Stays Dry. But you wrote this, more connects us now than separates us. And that is no more evident than it is as scores of companies and their people are reaching out now, not to be more competitive or to ask for more, but to be more compassionate and to ask for less. And I think about that when I read that, I read it over a couple of times um, before this 
before this call. And I think about that in terms of not just what a lot of realtors are, have been preaching, um, preaching is, is the wrong word because it has negative connotations, but have been talking about a lot over the last few weeks about reaching out to your, your clients and your sphere of influence and asking, you know, how can I help you right now? It's a difficult time for everyone. Not having a sales pitch, hopefully not posting tacky memes about being essential on their Facebook pages. I think about it in, in those terms, but I also think about it in terms of the cooperation agreement, most notably what we all agree to when we post our listings in the MLS. But I feel that in so many situations, especially in the last couple of years, for me personally, in, in transactions, and I hear this with a lot of my colleagues, it's almost a battle between the two agents in a transaction from day one. The combativeness, the personal feelings in something that should be a purely professional business relationship, because let's be honest, we don't have an ownership interest in the majority of the homes that we sell. And our fiduciary duty to our client is, if I have a willing and ready seller and you have a willing and able buyer, our job, while keeping negotiation and fiduciary duty in mind, is to have a meeting of the minds and get those parties to where they want to be, which is the closing table. And so when I look at that quote from you, it's no more evident in scores of people reaching out to be more, not to be more competitive, but to be more compassionate. Do you think that there's a chance, and maybe this is the, the teeny little piece of Pollyanna in me, hmm. uh, because I did love my Haley Mills movies growing up. Um, <laughs> And, and I do tend more toward the cynical and the, and the pessimistic these days as an adult, but maybe it's that little bit of Pollyanna in me. Do you see what we are going through now potentially leading to that more compassionate cooperative agreement between realtors and less of this combative and you know, at the throat uh, competitiveness that seems to be so prevalent in our industry these days? Well, I think I, think I have a couple of thoughts on that. One, I think the, the, Combative, competitive, I think you said, was it, uh, is the battle between brokers for agents. I mean, that's all we're seeing. I mean, let's be frank. I mean, it's, it's Compass trying to steal someone from Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway is stealing someone from Sotheby's. That's in our little B2B world, right? Business to business world. I think one of the blessings we have as an industry, and it's so unique. I said this. I was, I mean, I've been very outspoken about my criticism for the MLS industry, so let's get that on the table. But Danae Evans, I don't know if you know Danae, the CEO of Council of MLSs, invited me to go to their meeting, their annual meeting, and said, would you come sit in my strategy meeting? I said, are you crazy? <laughs> He's like, Do you know who I am? Yeah, I mean, like, don't you know? And she said, Ken, you're a professional. I know you'll, you'll treat yourself, I mean, handle yourself that way in the meeting. And I said, of course I will. But I said, I can find something good. It's not Pollyanna. I can find something good in anything. I mean, there's two ways to look at things, either from the good side or the bad side. I prefer to do it from the good side, but when I don't see good, I have to go bad to get good, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So in that meeting, I told, uh, I think there's about 25 major MLSs in this closed-door session. You know, there's 800 people at the conference, but only about 25 people in the room. And it was being moderated by a moderator, Brian Barrero at 1,000 Watt. And he said, Ken, I don't know why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody said, yeah, isn't he the guy that, yeah, he's that guy. And I said, he said, well, what do you think of this clear cooperation thing, which I think you were just alluding to. And I said, well, let me tell you what I think. 
I think in terms of what we are as an industry, it's a glass half full. Okay, let's start with that. And you'll, three people fell off their chairs and died right then when I said, <laughs> glass half full, glass half full. And I said, um, here's why I think that. Unlike any industry I know in the world, and I study lots of industries, right? I study what people are doing to be successful. We are one of the few industries that can lay down our competitive arms to be cooperative. Let me say that again. We're laying down our competitive arms to be cooperative. We're extremely competitive in our industry in the B2B side and extremely cooperative on the B2C, business to consumer side. So when someone comes in and says, yes, you may be the one, I may be the one that wins your listing, I can enjoin all of my comrades here within the Atlanta Realtor Association, right? I can enjoin them all to help you sell the house. Our, we're united as a team to help participate and cooperate to get the job done. How many industries do you know like that? Not many. So when I say lay down the competitive thing and be more compassionate, it's like we need all of that to get the job done. We really do. We can't do it by ourselves. It's too big of a job. And if you happen to have a buyer that loves you and doesn't love me and wants my listing, then I work with you on it. So I think we have taken that for granted. And I think as an industry, we underestimate that power that we have as individual realtors when we do that. And I think that um, it's so unique that people, when you say, what's the value of doing business with a realtor? That's the key one I think of. I don't think of the code of ethics. I think of cooperation. So it's about, we can all work together. All the people that will come in here and make presentations to you, even though they don't get your listing, they may bring us a buyer. Mm -hmm. And I will work with them, and I will share with you what you agreed to pay me. Who does that? Nobody does that. We have that uniqueness as an industry, and we don't sell it enough. Glass half full. Now, when you go look at all the other reasons not to do that, those are all B2B reasons, right? They're no, they really don't have anything to do with the consumer, although we push them over there. A lot of them are our own, our own judgments about the other people in the industry. We don't want them in the transaction with us. We, we, you've dealt with all that stuff. And you know when you get a, a deal with somebody and you go, oh, no, not that agent. You may have to do more work because they're not going to do the work or whatever. That's all behind the scenes. The premise is we're the only industry that can put the power of the entire industry together to get the job done. That is showing that we're capable of doing the job. We're not just one little company with some new idea or one little open door with a couple of people. If what, you have 10, 12,000 members in your association? Yes. Working together, working together, right? Now I can be just as critical and we have been pretty critical on this call about all the B2B stuff. But on the B2C side, I see that as the strongest benefit of organized real estate as long as we can keep the integrity of that in place. When we let people in the industry that are going to destroy transactions, it's going to discourage people from cooperating. If we don't have clear and high standards for who comes into the industry, we're going to suffer because you won't want that person in your transaction because they don't know what they're doing or they're unscrupulous or whatever the case is. We need to, we need to govern that and, and uh, monitor that on our own. We need a higher standard in this industry so that cooperation is something we agree to do wholeheartedly, not go, oh, no, not him or her in the transaction. And that's our job. We have to keep that system clean, right? We have to keep the people highly qualified. So, you know, one day we'll talk about standards in the industry, not based on going to classes and getting certifications, but on actual performance and, and real ways the business, you know, surveys themselves, if you will. My point is, 
Clear cooperation is something we need to monitor and we need to govern and we need to police as, as an industry to keep it there and keep it valuable. Otherwise, I have concerns for it. No matter what the NER has as a policy, we have to make sure that that is in place for it to survive. But it is unique to our industry. No other industry does it, and we should sell it every single day. I want to ask you one final question, and it is one that I ask uh, every guest. And I know that you own property. You had mentioned um, Park City, and I think you said Idaho and California. Uh, but when you think of the idea of a dream home, so you know we're in the we are in the business of hopefully finding people their dream home. It might not be the first home that they buy, and it might not even be the second. It might be a vacation home or or whatever. But when you think of your ideal of home, of a dream home, the home that you wouldn't mind weathering a pandemic in. If, if money and location and work obligations and commitments were of no concern and no object, where would it be? What does it look like? Talk to me a little bit about your dream home. You'd probably be surprised to learn this. I have one big home that I told you about, and it's, it's actually a family home I took over when my father passed away. And um, it's currently where my mom lives, but I took over full responsibility for it. But my other homes are small. Um, I look more at a reasonable size location, if you look at the house, the physical structure of it, in a wonderful environment where it can inspire me to grow and to be at peace and to uh, reflect. It doesn't need to be a big mansion. You know, sometimes that, that works against itself. So my dream home is somewhere, a, a reasonably sized place. Like my home here is 2,000 square feet. My home in Boise is uh, 3,200 square feet. My home in Park City is 1,300 square feet. And the home in Hillsborough is 5,000 square feet, so that doesn't count. But that's a family deal. My other homes are in environments where I find myself at peace, where I can reflect, where I can look at myself internally. You know, there's another guy I, I really think is a cool guy, Mark, Michael Gerber, who says you should be working on your business, um, not in your business. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you should work on yourself more than you go out, before you go out to tell anybody anything that you think is true, you should test it within yourself and make sure that it's good advice before you ever give it to somebody. I don't tell people things because I think it sounds good. I tell things because I know they're good and I've proven it myself. So I need to be somewhere where I can totally get around that. And, um, and I've picked various environments. I have a beach environment here in Orange County. I have a mountain environment in, uh, in Park City. And I, I have different personalities when I go to these different places. You know, I have different vehicles and different things I do up there in the mountains that I do down here. Um, but I look at how I can be, in a positive way, influenced by the environment that that home's in. So that it doesn't really depend about the home itself. It depends on the location and what it does to help me enrich myself so I can help other people. That makes sense? It does. That's too personal for Ken Jenny to say that stuff, though. Is this boisterous guy that's been on the call cares about him himself? Yeah, I do. I really do. Do you have a I favorite really location? If you had to pick the beach or the mountains or, I mean, is there a favorite? Well, I'm very area? impatient. I'm a very impatient guy. I'm very demanding on myself. So I usually, I go to places and go, gosh, I'm glad I'm in Park City. Open it all up. You know, go out on the deck. I'm going to sit and watch the geese on the lake and do all this stuff. And I get tired of that after a while. I go, yeah, I have enough of this. So close it all up and come down to the beach. 
and in Orange County and, and then go out in the sailboat and do other stuff. And, and then I go, oh, I'm tired of this. I'm going up to Boise and I'm going to go play golf with my friends and do stuff. You know, so I'm, I'm a pretty impatient guy. Um, and I, I love all those environments. I just don't want to be any one of them for a long period of time. I like yeah. the, I like the, the, uh, the differences in the different locations. They do different things for me. They cause me to be a different person. And then when I get on a plane and go somewhere, you get what you get. It's me. And I'm on a plane a lot. And, uh, and not I enjoy right it. <laughs> no, I know not right now. Unless I'm flying it. Then that's, I'm, I'm not going to be on it. Well, thank you so much. I, I have enjoyed this so much. I, I hope that our listeners uh, take the time to listen and really absorb what we've talked about today. I appreciate your insight and your transparency and authenticity and just your generous willingness to share with me and with our over 40,000 members here in the state of Georgia at Georgia Realtors. So thank you so much, Ken. But I've really appreciated the opportunity and I hope I did help. If I helped one person, it was all worth it. And yes. I hope this is an inspiration to have us be the change agents in our own industry. I really would like to see that in my lifetime. That's right. So and as you go. said last week, to be more, more change provoking than thought provoking. That's right. One's a do and one's a want to do. That's right. Thank you so much again. I appreciate Thanks your time. Thank you very much. To learn more about Ken and for links to all of our episodes, please visit our show notes at garealcast.com. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe to us. Apparently, it helps others to find us and it boosts our ratings. Have a great one.